Well, we've been uh, going through this study that we've just simply called Miracles, looking at the miracles of Jesus uh, for the last month and a half, and we're going to wrap up this study today, and, and I'm really excited about what the next month and a half offers, is we're really going to spend some time talking about our church uh, the mission and vision that we believe that God has given to us, uh, what that's going to look like for us as a church as we think about the future. And next week, uh, we're going to talk about just what we believe as a church. You know, what are the major statements of faith that we believe, uh, that we hold to, uh, that, that kind of shape everything that we do from this point forward. But uh, we're going to wrap up this study on miracles today. If you've got your Bibles, take them and turn to John chapter 9. Uh, go to the fourth book of the New Testament, to the book of John, John chapter 9. Our story begins here today in John 9 with a guy who was born blind. And interestingly enough, uh, he was born into a culture that blamed him and his personal sin for his blindness, that he was somehow at fault. His parents were at fault for this fact that he had been born blind. So beginning in John chapter 9, uh, the first couple of verses follow along with me if you would. It says, as he went along, he saw Jesus did a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, how many of you this morning uh, have been born or fortunate enough to have ridiculously bad eyesight? All right, how many people around the room? We've got a few around the room. Some are wearing glasses, some aren't wearing glasses. We'll look out for you uh, after the service. Well, well, my eyesight's not too bad, and I, I wear glasses. They, they help with with reading. But for some of you, you know, that's not the case. I mean, you take off your glasses, you're not wearing your contacts, you're a mess. I mean, you're blind as a bat. I mean, you are an accident waiting to happen. And you've been there before, right? I mean, would you admit, I mean, for how many of you, you know, you've slipped into the bathroom in the morning and rather than reach for the toothpaste, you've grabbed the hydrocortisone anti-itch cream and put it on your, your toothbrush? I mean, those, those tubes are pretty similar, aren't they? And, and you put it on the toothbrush and, and you get a little surprise. And, and so you know that it's not easy uh, to navigate without your glasses on. I was up in Michigan a couple of weeks ago with with, with my family, and uh, we were uh, in St. Joseph, which is right on Lake Michigan, and I went out on a kayak uh, with a good friend of mine. It was real hot. We're out there, and I had just put suntan lotion on, and I mean, the sweat was just, was just coming off of my, my head, and all of a sudden, that suntan lotion started running into my eyes. Have you ever gotten suntan lotion in your eyes before? I mean, it's fun. I mean, it really makes for a great day, and it just seems to take forever. Well, I didn't have a towel with me, and the water from the lake didn't seem to help, and so we took this two-mile ride in the kayak, and I I had my eyes closed the whole time. I mean, I just, I couldn't see. And, and I mean, but you, for some of you that have got bad eyesight, you know what it's like to, to live in a world that's, that's blurry all the time. But as we think, you know, apart from just physical eyesight, you know, living, you know, in the world today can be a little blurry, can it? I mean, sometimes things are just crystal clear, but other times things get way out of focus. I mean, what besides our physical eyes who causes our world to go blurry. Well, for me, it's, it's stuff like this. You know, Jenny and I have friends in another state, and, and we've known them for a while, and they've been married about the same amount of time. They've got a couple of kids, and, and, and they go to church. And she recently walked out on him and the kids and said, I'm not coming back. You know, I don't want to be a part of this marriage anymore. And, and stuff like this, you know, kind of makes my world a little blurry. You know, why do, why do things happen like this? How does this happen? I, I once had to do a wedding and a funeral for the same family, the same young couple in one year's time. Their wedding was great. It was a great celebration. It was awesome. The funeral for their little baby wasn't so fun. 
And as a pastor, I mean, what do you say to a young couple like this as they grieve and as they hurt over the loss of a child? You know, and add to my list all of your stuff, you know, all of your challenges and the things that you're going through and the questions about life and God and and the things that you're struggling with right now, things you don't understand. I mean, we live in a tough world. We live in a world that's a little blurry, and it's a tough world with tough questions, and we want to know why this happens and why this stuff happens. Well, my prayer for you this morning and my prayer for you this week has been that God would use today in a way that only God can, that he would use this message to answer some question in your life. Maybe there's just a pressing question over you right now that you don't understand and you just can't find the motivation to keep going. But maybe there's something that God wants to do today through this miracle, you know, to help you better understand, you know, why things are happening or, or that at least God would allow you to see what he wants you to see in all of this. I mean, what is it that he wants you to see today? Well, here's my first thought, you know, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. But the first thought that kind of goes along with this miracle, it's that when life gets blurry, I believe that God wants us to see through the obstacle illusions, all right? There's not a misspelling there, just a little creative use of words, that God wants us to see through the obstacle illusions. Well, now, when the disciples walked up and saw this blind guy, they immediately saw the obstacle. I mean, what was it? He was blind. I mean, a great obstacle for anyone. And notice that they didn't run up to Jesus and say, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, what an awesome opportunity for you to, to heal this man and to other people to see what's happened. Do, do that thing that you always do, you know, Jesus, like you do so well, and, and, and make this guy see again. Now, they didn't do that. They didn't say that. Instead, they said, who can we blame for this? I mean, trying to look all smart and all in front of everybody. I mean, who, who can we blame for this? It's an obstacle illusion. And when the obstacles of your life lead you to absolute hopelessness, you are seeing an obstacle illusion. And so we look for something or we look for someone else to blame. And that's what the disciples saw. But what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Jesus, he had this remarkable ability to see right through it all and to see the opportunity and to see the potential. Verse 3. Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Now, don't miss this next part. And if, and if you've got a pen and you've got your own Bible and you don't mind underlining in your Bible, you might want to underline this one. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Wow, don't miss that because that's powerful. And if you can take that truth and you can know that truth and you can hold that truth close to your heart, Friends, I'll tell you this morning, you can get through anything. What's Jesus saying? But this happens so that the the work of God might be displayed in his life. How many of you have ever seen some of these photos before? Maybe you've gotten this email that's gone around. Have you ever seen this guy before, Julian Beaver? I think I've gotten this email forward probably a hundred times, but it is pretty spectacular. Julian Beaver is a chalk artist. This is all chalk, all right? And uh, he's English-born, lives in Belgium, and corporations hire him out uh, to come into the big cities and to, to draw these illusions. And uh, through a process, uh, I have to look at it to be reminded, through a process or a projection called anamorphosis, uh, his artwork creates these illusions of three dimensions. 
uh, when viewed from the correct angle. And if you look at some of the emails online and you can find his website, he'll actually show you the picture from a different angle so that you can see that you have to look at it from just the right place in order to really see what the picture is all about. Now, I wasn't sure if it was true or not, and so I did as much research as I can, could on the internet, and if you find out that it's a big farce, let me know and I won't show it in the next service. But, uh, but it's pretty impressive, this guy's ability uh, to use tr- chalk to draw these 3D illusions, these optical illusions. You know, the, these optical illusions, it, it's when we see things for more than what they really are. And that happens in life too all the time, doesn't it? I mean, it's like when you're served papers and you think, there's no way I'll ever get through this. Or you get the pink slip and you immediately think, we're ruined, we're done, we won't find a way. Or, or you move into the dorm and you feel like you're the only one like you and, and you're all by yourself now. Or, or maybe you get the doctor's report and you say, my life is over. But the question is, is it really over? I mean, is that really the end of the line? Or could there be a purpose in it all? I mean, is God great enough and almighty enough that anything that happens to us, whether good or bad at times, that that he's great enough to make it for his purpose, that, that he wants to do something in it or through it? I mean, maybe you've been praying to God to bring a man into your life. You know, you're single, and, and so you date and wait, and you date and wait, and you wait, and, 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 you know, what do you find? Well, nothing but losers, you know? I mean, you just keep looking, and nothing but losers. And so you keep looking out for your number two, and every guy you date is like number 359 on your list, you know? And so you, you get to this place, and you say, it's hopeless. You know, I'll be dating for the rest of my life. I'll be single for the rest of my life. Now, I'm not going to say that the obstacles that we face aren't real. I mean, because they are real, and and sometimes they're serious. And I'm not saying that the pain associated with any of our struggles isn't real or that you should just be able to snap out of it or something. You know, quit making a mess of yourself. But here's a thought. I mean, the moment you find yourself in this place of hopelessness, you know, when the obstacle appears and when there's nothing to do but cast the blame or expect the worst, We've got to find a way and find the faith to be able to see through it, to see through it all. And think about this, to be able to ask, why is it that I am facing what I'm facing right now? It kind of goes back to John 3, what we read just a moment ago. Is it so that the work of God might be displayed in my life? I mean, how many of you would say that you've got a great obstacle in your life right now? You know, maybe it's a hill, maybe it's a Mount Everest. Well, look at it this way with me. You know, why is this happening to you? Well, maybe so that the work of God will be displayed in my life. That even though the rest of the world should say, you you should be an absolute mess right now, there's no way that you should be able to get through this. Again, why do I have to go through this? Well, God wants to take all things and make them for good and And maybe it's that God wants others to see the work that he is willing and able to do in my life. And and those are tough words to say, but they're true. You know, you ever get discouraged? You ever just get really down on yourself and maybe think, you know, I'm not capable of doing this anymore or, you know, I'm the wrong person for this time or, you know, what what am I ever going to do or what am I ever going to contribute? You know, I'm human. You know, I I say those types of things. I think those types of things. I I get caught up into that. I I take things personally. You know, my skin isn't so thick. 
and I can easily get discouraged. I, I was reading in my devotion this past week, a devotional by Charles Spurgeon, and just these short little devotionals, and I, and I wanted to share this quick one with you that I read this past Monday morning. He writes, Inasmuch as Jesus has gone before us, things are not as they would have been if he had never passed that way. He has conquered every foe that obstructed the way. Cheer up now, you faint-hearted warrior. Not only has Christ traveled the road, but he has defeated your enemies. Do you dread sin? He has nailed it to his cross. Do you fear death? He has been the death of death. Are you afraid of hell? He has barred it against the advent of any of his children. They shall never see the gulf of perdition. Whatever foes may be before the Christian, they are all overcome. You know, there are lions, yes, but their teeth are broken. There are serpents, but their fangs are extracted. There are rivers, but they are bridged or fordable. There are flames, but we wear wear that matchless garment that renders us invulnerable to fire. The sword that has been forged against us is already blunt. The instruments of war that the enemy is preparing have already lost their point. God has taken away in the person of Christ all the power that anything can ever have to hurt us. Well, then the army may march safely on, and you may go joyously along your journey, for all your enemies are already conquered. And what will you do but march on to take the prey? They are beaten. They are vanquished. All you have to do is to share the plunder. You shall, it is true, often engage in combat, but your fight will be with a defeated foe. His head is broken. He may attempt to injure you, but his strength will not be sufficient for his malicious design. Your victory shall be easy, and your treasure shall be beyond all measure. You know, I mean, that devotion and what Jesus wants to see is that it's all about seeing through. You know, I mean, it's all about seeing through the mess of it all with Jesus. I mean, God's working in your life, and and even when it's difficult and challenging to see through, God is working. You know, God is going to get you exactly where you need to go, and the results might not always work out the way we hope, even you know, the way that we pray. I can't promise you that, but I can promise you this. If you let him, the work of God will be displayed in your life and you'll know it and others will know it too. The second thought that I had that I'd like for you to write down if you're taking notes is that when life gets blurry, God wants us to see his response to our obedience. God wants us to see his response to our obedience. God wants us uh, to respond with instant obedience You know, maybe that breakthrough that you've been waiting for in your life right now, you know, is delayed. And you've been waiting for it for a long time and it's just delayed. It won't come. And you ask why? Well, maybe it's because we're not obeying something that God has asked us to do. Because God wants us to see his response to our instant obedience. Look at John verse 9, verse 6. It says, having said this, he spit on the ground. Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. All right, so we've got this blind guy, all right? He overhears the disciples talking about whose fault it is that he's blind. And so you've got to feel sorry for this guy as he overhears this conversation. I mean, he's heard it all before. And so Jesus walks up next to him. He doesn't say a word, nothing. You know, the blind guy senses that someone is standing right next to him the whole time, but he's not sure what go- is going on. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, hi, I'm the son of God, I'm the healer, I'm standing right next to you. What's he doing said? All of a sudden you hear this, you know, and then Jesus, you know, I mean, the loogie of all loogies, you know, right here in the ground. Yeah, I said it. I mean, it's in my notes and everything. I said it right here in church. 
But think about it for a second. I know it's kind of gross. I mean, how much saliva does it take to make mud? All right, and Jesus is going to take mud and wipe it on these guys' eyes, all right? Now, I know I've kind of grossed everybody all out, and maybe I've lost it all, but, but he spits in the dirt. He mixes the saliva in with this dirt to make mud, and the next thing he does is he takes it, and he smears it all over this man's eyes and all over his face. You know, the guy's thinking to himself, great, you know, it's not enough that I'm blind, and now I've got mud on my eyes. But then Jesus speaks, and verse 7, look what he says. Go. One word, go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. No, go. That's all Jesus said. He said, go wash in the pool. And what was crazy is that without asking any questions or any sort of explanation, the man just went. He did what Jesus told him to do. And so the man went and washed, as the scripture said, and came home seeing. What's God called you to do in your life right now? And it maybe doesn't make any sense. I know that for some of you, it's probably an instant answer. You know exactly what I'm talking about right now, and you know and you sense what it is that God's called you to do. You know, it's to make the phone call or to set up the coffee with that person and to seek forgiveness. Maybe it's to take that job or sell the car. It could be even that God's been saying, you know, you need to start serving or you need to get into a connection group, you know, and become a part of your church. You know, just show up on Sundays. You need to get involved. I mean, it might be an instant answer for you and you know what God's been telling you to do. For others, it might take some time. I mean, you might have to ask God, God, what is it that you want to do through me right now? And for those of you who know what you're supposed to do and you haven't done it, let me say this, and I want to say this with good intentions and plenty of grace. But delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I mean, you can spin it however you like. And you keep wondering why God is not acting in your life. And maybe he's saying, you're not obeying. You know, you're focused on step four. And I've just been telling you what step two is. I'm not going to let you get to step four until you take step two. And there'll be a step three. I mean, have you done what he's asked you to do? I mean, God wants us to see his response to our obedience. Let me tell you a story about how I saw this in my life. When Jenny and I were first married and started, you know, attending church together, one of the challenges that uh, we felt, uh, one of the things that we believed God was doing in our life was to begin tithing, to begin giving. And that wasn't an easy task for either of us. And and I think it came on a little quicker for Jenny, uh, maybe even more so than it did for me. But we started tithing and we started believing that, okay, God has given us, uh, we're going to give back to him a portion of what he has already blessed us with. And so we started tithing, you know, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis. And, and then we went into full-time ministry and knew that, okay, now we have to, you know, I mean, if we're going to ask other people to do this, uh, we need to make sure that we're doing it the same. And so when we lived in Michigan, uh, we really made tithing a part of our life. And I'm not going to say that it came easy. And there were times that I wrote out the check and kind of gulped, like, wow, there's, you know, something else that we could do with this money this month. And every week or every other week, we put it in the offering bag, and I'd just kind of watch it float away, like, oh, oh, there it goes. You know, I mean, so many things that we could do. That wasn't that we were making that much money. But, you know, when you're a young couple and you've got a fixed income, I mean, it's hard to step out and to take those steps. Well, as God 
continued providing for us. And as our confidence grew in Him more and more, as we were obedient and as God responded to our obedience, always providing for every need that we had, uh, there was another challenge that came upon us at this church where we were at to, to give to a special project, to give over and above what we were already giving to this special project over a three-year period. And so Jenny and I began thinking about, okay, what, what is it that we're going to do? How can we can contribute? And, and I'm going to tell you exactly what it is, just so you understand the story. But we decided, well, let's do $3,000. Over the next three years, let's give $3,000 more than what we already give. And so we, we thought about making this pledge, and then at the last minute, we did something really crazy, and we did 9000 We tripled what we were thinking about. And so uh, we started giving. Well, we were only there for two years of that three-year commitment when God called us to Louisville. Now, for me, as we arrived there, in my mind, I was kind of thinking like, oh, wow, yes, we get out of that last year of that three-year commitment. You know, we get to, we, we're freeing up $3,000 for ourselves. My wife didn't see it the same way, you know, and I was like, rats, you know. I mean, I hate when my wife was, is always right, and she said, you know, we need to fulfill this pledge, this commitment that we made that we believe that God led us to, this additional $3,000. I wasn't too happy about it. And I wasn't mad at Jenny, but we were at a time, you know, I mean, moving's expensive, and, and as, as, as a family with two young kids at the time, and Jenny was staying at home, I mean, we, we just always had to be very wise in our spending. And again, it's like, you know, God, haven't we trusted you enough? I mean, now you're asking us to trust you even more. And so I pouted about it for a while, and I kind of fought it for a couple of weeks. And, and finally, you know, I gave in and, you know, let Jenny change my mind. And, and we sent in one lump sum the additional $3,000. You know what happened over the next couple of weeks? We started getting some refunds from like property tax and escrows on our old house. And, and I wish I could tell you that they added up to $3,000 to the penny. And I don't think they did. But I remember one check we got within a couple of weeks for $2,000. You know, two-thirds of that commitment that we had made. You know, and I was just reminded that God asked us to obey, to trust Him, so that he can show us how great he is, what he's capable of doing. You know, we weren't expecting it, but God provided for everything that we pledged to him. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 is one of my favorite verses. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then I love this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. It's the only time in Scripture where God invites us to test him. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. You know, I, I don't share these details with you so that you can look at me and think, wow, our pastor is so awesome. You know, they gave $9,000 over and above what they were already giving. That's not why I tell you that. The only reason I tell you that is that I will never ask you to give anything that my wife and I aren't going to strive to do the same. Because this is our journey too. And God is working in our lives just as he's working in your lives. And I want you to see that I'm learning to trust God with my giving. And, and the unfortunate thing is that most people don't. And I don't have this perfect track record of trusting God. But most people don't. And you might be willing to give God great chunks of your life. But you won't let God near your money. You're not giving him any opportunity to prove his power in your life. And that's just, just one example, but God wants us to be able to see his response to our obedience. And so what do you need to do to obey God in your life right now? The third thing is that God wants us to see our blind spots. 
Uh, there were a group of religious dudes at this time called the Pharisees, and, and they knew this blind guy, and they knew he was blind from birth. They passed him every day at the temple on their way to the temple. They were, you know, the religious elite. And when they heard that he was healed, they flipped out. And you can read about some of it in the rest of the story, but they brought him in front of their group and they just drilled him with questions. I mean, he was blind and now he could see. And, and this blind guy had to be thinking, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, what did I do wrong in this scenario? Well, John chapter 9, verse 30, the man answered the crowd. Now, this is remarkable, he said. You don't know where he, Jesus, comes from, yet he opened my eyes. I mean, why are you so against Jesus? He opened my eyes. Don't you see that this man is who he says he is? I was blind and now I see but the Pharisees refused to believe it. I mean, they had this great big blind spot in their life for Jesus. They were so focused on the law and they were so focused on tradition and their own power and the fact that all of this had taken place on the Sabbath, which broke so many rules, that they weren't willing to recognize Jesus as the Son of God. What's the blind spot in your life right now? I mean, what is it that's standing in front of you or standing behind you or a part of your past that prevents you from being able to believe in the power and the work of God. You know, maybe it's a struggling marriage or you know, just the tough economic times around us or, or a job you don't like or just a tough place to be in life and nothing seems to be growing right. I mean, what's your blind spot? What are you so fixated on right now that you have lost the ability to see the potential of the power of God working in you? I mean, when God, you know, when life gets blurry, God wants us to see through all of our hopelessness and through all of the obstacles, and, and He wants us to see His response when we obey. And he can help us see through it. I mean, remember what the verse said the work of God will be displayed in your life if you'll just let it. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. In fact, Jesus said, He is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. I love those words there, Lord, I believe. Just three words. You know, and it's so easy to get fixated and infatuated with that which is physical or tangible or even quantifiable here, you know? I mean, if you're like me, you look at this story and you think, wow, you know, Jesus, you know, healer, Lord. I mean, we've got this blind guy who, who has never seen in a day in his life. I mean, can you imagine? But he's healed and he can see colors and he can see his family and he can look at his own hands. I mean, what a miracle. I mean, what a great God. And it was a miracle. But it was a temporary miracle. Because just a few years later, this guy died. And his eyesight meant nothing then. And the truth is, is that the greater miracle is the one that we overlook towards the end of chapter 9. It's in the I believe. You know, I believe that you are the Son of God. I mean, physical eyesight, temporary miracle. I believe that miracle was eternal. You know, and it's amazing how God has the power to heal a body, but even more, that God has the ability to change a heart. That our God can take someone from death to life, that that can happen in all of us. And the reason this is so great is that every single one of us has been born blind to the things of God. 
and we can't see him for who he is because of the sin in our life. And it's not until we have an encounter with God and say with our own mouths, I believe. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died for my sin and that you can heal me. You know, it's when we make that decision that our eyes are truly opened to who he is and who we can be because of him. Which just leads to the very last thought. If you want to write this down, it's believing is seeing. Not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. We'll finish with this story. There's a guy by the name of John Newton, born a long time ago in London in the 18th century. And John was the son of a godly Christ-following mother and the son of a God-hating father. Some of you were born in houses like that. When John was six years old, his mother died, and he instantly became embittered at the God that she loved. I mean, if God was so good as she said he was, you know, why would he take her away from me? I mean, you can see the blurriness of his life right here, the obstacle. And so at the age of 11, John Newton joined his father as a merchant sailor and grew in his hate for God. He lived in direct rebellion to the very nature of God. The obvious career choice at that time for John was uh, that he became the captain of a slave ship, 18th century captain of a slave ship. There were over 6 million slaves stripped from their homes and families in the 18th century in Africa, and John Newton was right in the middle of it. I mean, he was in the midst of, of every bit of it. He personally ordered children stripped from their parents, Wives abused in ways, you know, we can't talk about right in front of their husbands and fathers taken from their kids. It was cruel and godless and as hateful as you can imagine. But later on, John Newton was on this voyage back to London where he encountered a storm, thinking for sure that it was going to take his life. Finally, he is going to get what he deserves, but he doesn't die. He instead, in the middle of the storm, finds this book on the ship, a book called The Imitation of Christ. And it was as he read that book for the first time that he saw. And in the midst and in the distance between who he was and who God was, he recognized that as a hateful and as sinful as his life has been, that the power of the cross was so much more powerful than all of that. And on that day, on that ship, in the middle of that storm, John Newton sought forgiveness. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't too much later that he wrote a song. You've heard it before. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Well, as we wrap up uh, our series on miracles, you know, we've talked about a number of things over the last month and a half. We've talked about the obstacles and the challenges that we face, you know, the faith that's needed and required to survive and just get by, and God's power to heal and to mend. And you can't help but wonder and hope and believe, you know, can God work a miracle in my life right now? I love what Adrian Rogers has to say about miracles. He writes, each divine miracle that occurs now and that Jesus performed during his lifetime on earth is intended to set your eyes on the real answer to your need. It's Jesus. It's about setting our eyes on Jesus. And so my question for you as we wrap up today is, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? 
I mean, it's the question for the follower of Jesus. You know, right now, I mean, maybe life has just gotten a little blurry. You know, are you seeing through it? Are you setting your eyes on Jesus to believe that he can do anything in you and through you? It's a question for those who are still seeking. You know, as we just sang that song a moment ago, the amazing grace that God offers to us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your personal Savior, uh, we'd invite you to do that today. After the service, after I pray, there'll be a team of people down front, and, and maybe you'd like to just come chat with them for a few minutes, ask them to pray for you. Uh, we'd love to talk with you about making that decision. I mean, let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. God, we just thank you for who you are. And in spite of who we are, God, and the times that we fail and lose faith and stumble, and are so afraid and run and want to hide in, in different places, that you're a God who is continually there, and you're ready to take us back. You're ready to encourage us, uh, to give us the sight that we need to see through. And I pray for those this morning that are struggling with some great obstacles in their life right now, and they're looking and hoping for a miracle. But if they're real honest, they know that their life's gotten a little blurry, their faith has gotten a little blurry to, to believe that you are able or capable of doing the work that needs to be done. And God, I pray that you would just encourage them this morning and allow them to see Jesus, to look to Jesus for what he's capable and willing to do. And I pray for my friends here today who have never made a decision before to trust Jesus Christ with their life. God, would you allow them to see that, you know, that you can give us that power to believe and that Jesus is the way and that he can erase our past and give us a, a great, hopeful future. Uh, thanks for the greatest miracle ever performed when Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. And we celebrate that today, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.